Welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. We've got some new lenses, we've got some camera firmware updates, which are a little bit suspicious, and we've got some other stuff. But first, Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Slow down, man. Slow down. It's Friday afternoon. You want to get the show over in a real hurry, don't you? Oh, man. I'm playing a Mitch from Planet 5D. Planet 5D. Wee. Yeah, I those sounds because I deleted them. But anyway, that was a whole nother pre-show thing that we didn't get to do. So let's get to the show really fast, okay? All right. What's up, Mitch? <laughs> uh, it's Labor Day weekend, and I'm supposed to be doing all sorts of family stuff, but I end up sitting in front of my computer the whole weekend, and they hate me. So I am sorry, man. You? I messed up Mitch's schedule this morning because of my schedule changes, and I didn't even realize it was a holiday weekend until I got into work, and they're like, you don't have anything going on on Monday. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's on my schedule. They're like, no, <laughs> you can't schedule stuff on Monday. I'm like, what? So now everything's getting pushed around. It's great. But uh, yes, Labor Day weekend. I, myself, am still working on more feature-length stuff. I've got four rushes that I've got to kick out by the end of tonight, and I'm going to be editing most of my free weekend. But uh, it's not too exciting, otherwise, life in general. Uh, Mitch, did you see that review I got up of that uh, small rig unit for the Sony A7S? No, I didn't. And by the way, before we move on, I do know a guy when I was working at Boeing who showed up on a Monday morning at work. Did he get overtime? It was a holiday. So triple time. No, he went home. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway. No, I missed your new review. Sorry, DJ. Did it come out in my email? I don't know. Uh, But if you sign up for the mailing list, you would find out soon enough. Dun, dun, dun. Or what? Yeah, there you go, man. Sign up for DJ's email list. I get emails all the time. And sign up for Mitch's email list because that's also important. You can find out when the show happens. Uh, in fact, guys, I think I'm going to set up a separate email list because enough of you have been asking about when the show's live so you can watch it live. I might have something up probably next week that you can sign up for so that you can get only an email when the show is going live with Mitch or Devin. That way you can watch us as well as listen to us. Yeah. Now, on that review, uh, basically the summation of that is the small rig – uh, Sony A7S cage is $62 uh, with free shipping. The new version is user-designed, so people came in and they were basically like, I don't like the way this original one is designed. And Small Rig took up the gauntlet and basically adjusted, made changes to the design, and issued a new one. And the A7S is halfway through its life cycle, so usually when a company makes a rig, they just leave it alone and abandon it and move on to the next product when it comes out. But Small Rig... Way to stand up and keep your product fresh with uh, new iterations that are making it more attractive to users. So good job on that, guys. And that's all hey. I got to say about that because Mitch doesn't have anything to throw in. I was I was I was trying to hunt down the cheer. Uh, you know, my soundboard got lost on me. I'm sorry. Oh man, this is gonna I be one problem- of those shows today where we just step on each I, other. I had problems with my. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> now I can't talk. Had problems with my monitor and ended up having to disconnect it. It was slowing absolutely everything down on my Mac. Oh, wow. Uh, it took me about 30 minutes to figure it out. I had a monoprice. I I went cheap, DJ. I went and bought a monoprice 27-inch uh, monitor. Oh, and okay. One I, of those 2560 by 1440 panels? Yeah, sure. 
uh, it was like 200 bucks. I don't know what the numbers are. Uh, it's still sitting here, but I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't switch screens on my Mac without waiting like three seconds. And I shut everything down and it was still happening. And I finally said, what if I unplug that monitor? And so I unplugged the monitor and I rebooted the machine. And it was just like lightning fast. Weird. I'm like, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. So right now I, I'm, I'm having everything switched because I got so used to all of my show notes being over there on that, that monitor. And now they're not there. So <gasps> I have to deal with other stuff. It's okay. I'll survive. <laughs> all right, guys. On that note, I think it's probably... <laughs> Time for the news. All right, the first thing on my list here is actually the firmware for the Panasonic GH4. If you're not aware of this, you may be hiding underneath of a rock somewhere because this is a big deal for all those searching for the infamous V-Log on their GH4. Uh, the bad side is Panasonic's charging $99 for what basically is a piece of paper they sent to you that you can... Type in some information and download the firmware that you would otherwise get for free. Mitch, what do you think about Panasonic charging $99? And is this a bad uh, precedence for future cameras uh, with uh, manufacturers charging for their firmware? Well, well, DJ, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, this is stupid, okay? <laughs> I don't like the word stupid. I don't use the word stupid too often because it implies things that, yeah, I mean, you don't ever say, call somebody stupid. I know a lot of people do. They call them morons and all that kind of stuff. I don't like that. And I don't particularly care for the word stupid, but in this case, I, I'm using it because this just does not make any sense to me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, as Karen wrote this up for us over in Planet 5D, and it's 149 dollars australian she's in australia oh is that so, a currency issue then maybe because the australian dollar has been crashing yeah. lately yes it has but it also just is ludicrous because i mean the things she pointed out because you're getting a physical kit and you can go to bnh photo <laughs> that's the wrong one <laughs> and buy, buy this kit which they then have to ship to you which means of course there's gasoline involved and and paper and plastic and all this other crap going on and like you said all they're basically doing is shipping you a piece of paper with a code on it right this is so stupid i don't get it and and besides the fact that they're even charging you for it right i mean 99 dollars sony by the way tried that years ago on the uh i think it was the f one and which we're going to talk about later i think maybe uh where they were charging an extra three thousand dollars to get the uh, their log added onto that camera well didn't they, they also even... do that with the f7 as well where uh well, you had to pay extra for an attachment but all it was was a firmware update that somebody managed to change and get 4k recording internally yes yeah and and it's like I understand, I do understand, uh, having come from Boeing uh, in the old days, I, I know that manufacturing, and I know it costs, and I know developing software costs, like, I mean, you know, there's production costs to do anything, but come on, this is this is something you've been promising for a while, Panasonic, 
people have been lusting after it and here you turn around and charge them a hundred bucks it just doesn't make any sense well and panasonic's really harbored a lot of goodwill with the uh filmmaker association the whole group of people as well as uh photographers and everybody else even myself i've jumped over to the uh, panasonic bandwagon and now they're kind of losing a lot of that by charging for their firmware Uh, panasonic was well known for being kind of ahead of the curve they're the one of the first uh lower price dslrs sort of cameras i shouldn't say dslr because it's an actually it's an evil camera but uh the uh the price i said evil yeah, it's it's, it's uh, electronic viewfinder interchangeable lens, right? That's evil uh, for those you're not familiar with that term. But now they're going to charge ninety nine dollars for this, and sending you a piece of paper and telling you to pre order this. I wonder if all the pre order they've kind of made a bonanza out of it. If the firmware is easy enough to like download and possibly hack, that they want to sell as many in the. In- initial run as possible to get their money out of it before people just start stealing it off the internet you suspect that mitch uh i don't let's let's just call panasonic evil period right uh (laughs) no i that's that's rude but it's i just don't understand it at all especially announcing something like like this Although maybe Canon did it, I think, if I remember correctly, Canon announced the 24 frames per second uh, uh, firmware for the 5D Mark II before it was actually available. I don't think it was more than a week or two, but Panasonic says this won't even be available till October, right? Isn't that in the one red? Yeah, it's a, it's a still a ways out. So they're just looking for pre-orders yeah. right now, which is ironic because there's already people out there testing the firmware. It's it's been on the market, you know, it's been out and about. I think the only reason it's going to take this long is because they have to set up all the infrastructure for you to type in the password and, you know, yeah. get your log file back and then send it in and email it back and whatever cuz there's like 10 steps to this. I, and, you know, they have all these special notes that are like, make sure you type in capital letters and zeros. Don't put a dash in this. Like, imagine if someone screws up, will this brick your camera? I mean, that would be great design. Oh, good Lord. Good Lord. I hope that doesn't happen. Man. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, this is just a fiasco in general. Uh I know they're going to offer up a little bit more dynamic range. They're, they're claiming that we're going to go from – 10 stops to 12 stops. But if I'm going to pay $99, I don't just want V-Log. I want them to go through and fix a number of complaints that are well-known about Panasonic's firmware because, you know, you have that whole issue where your screen display goes blank after about three or four minutes of shooting. So if you're shooting anything that's longer than a short clip, you no longer have audio level meters. You no longer know what your aperture is. You no longer have any of the counting information that you want on screen unless you tap the screen. And if you tap the screen, you create another focus point and it moves the focus over to that point that you just tapped. It's those sorts of things. Like I want all those to be corrected if I have to pay $99. If you're just going to give me one freebie that the camera was capable of doing anyway then I feel a little bit frustrated. Like, I'm not helping for the development of the firmware. I think you had the developed firmware already, and now you're just trying to make the camera stretch out a little bit longer. And talking about stretching out a little bit longer, did you see the release of the GH4R, which is basically, what, the European 
version of no. the GH4 with the new firmware already installed? What's that about? No, I missed that completely. Does it cost more? Uh, it's going to be, it looks like it retails for about the same price as the GH4 original did in Europe. But with that update, they're going to take out the limitations that were imposed in firmware for the infamous 29.9 minute recording problem. Because if you're a GH4 owner in the United States, you don't have to worry about that. You can record as long as your memory card will hold out. In Europe, they were limiting them so that they could get underneath of some kind of tax issue. Is that correct? Yes, it's all about the taxes. Which is funny because other cameras have been doing that for a while and uh, no repercussions yet. So I'm wondering if the European Union is not really that interested in taxing or harassing these camera manufacturers for that issue. <laughs> and maybe the GH4R shows that. Yeah, they've, they've been putting in this uh, limitation restriction for years in order to make sure they don't run into the taxation issue for that European crew. And yet... So far as we know, nobody's been bothered by it yet, right? Nobody's gone after them, so I don't know. By the way, the B&H site says that the new uh, Panasonic firmware has improved color matching with Vericam. Vericam, You know, the new Vericam start at $35,000, so it's very important for you to get have improved matching. For those of you who can afford... The $35,000 very cams. You know, maybe. <laughs> okay. So if you have that camera, maybe you the GH4 is your action cam. Maybe that's like, yeah. you don't like GoPros. You only use GH4s and you strap them to your vehicles and you crash them and then you pull the memory card out and it doesn't matter because. And, yeah. And that, and, that, and that means you can afford to pay the $99 for the firmware upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so I think we're in agreement here. Uh, It's a little bit ridiculous that uh, Panasonic is charging $99 for this. Now, I don't mind actually paying for firmware, and I will put this out there, but $99 seems like a pretty steep price. Maybe make it like the price of an iPad app or an iPhone app or an Android app. You know, $4.99, $1.99, or, you know, five bucks. And you know what? You would get a ton of people. You'd probably get 100% compliance if the firmware updates for these things were somewhere in the range of a uh, soda or the price of a cup of coffee. But when you start charging $100, you know that's 10% the price of your camera. That's halfway to a decent lens for the GH4. That's a really high-capacity memory card that could get you going. And you're not getting any of those things. You're just getting a piece of paper and a hassle trying to type stuff in. So not really cool, Panasonic. I'm a little disappointed in you, but I might still give you $99, so I guess I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I do. I think that's a good idea, though. I, I really think in this kind of a case, I, I'm all for supporting uh, improvements to gear. Uh, I pay for software upgrades. When, when developers ask for an upgrade fee, I typically pay it because if it's software I'm using and I want the the enhancements, I'll pay for it. I don't expect everything for free, unlike many people out on the internet these days. 
but I think $99 is a bit steep. Yeah. You know, if they sold it with a memory card, so maybe you got a 64 gig or 128 gig memory card and you paid $99 and the firmware was on there, that would, I, I think I would be okay with that because then you're like, well, I'm paying a premium price for this memory card, but I get this upgrade and now I have something physical. When I heard there was a box coming out, I was like, oh, sweet. You know, maybe they're adding like some new battery grip type of unit to it. And then when I saw that it was just, it's not really a box. They're just calling it a, a package. You know, it's just, oh, grr, so angry. All right. Things I'm not angry about, though, are lenses. Uh, Mitch, we've got several lenses in the lineup. And this first one's actually pretty interesting. Uh, Sigma, over the last couple of years, has released their art series lenses, which are a bunch of rather good and very competitively priced primes. Now it looks like Tamron is getting into the gang. Uh, Tamron has had some good hits with uh, their zooms. They had the 24 to 70 with vibration control, which is their flavor of IS. Now they're releasing some primes, and it looks like we've got a 35mm f1.8 and a, oddly a 45mm f1.8 both with vc which is image stabilization built in uh they're priced both at uh 599 compared to what's canon's uh current is lenses that are f2.8 aren't those in the i want to say they're like 899 is that correct or am i wrong yes i think you're right so this is coming in cheaper than canon it's providing image stabilization in the lens itself and F1.8, at least you're getting a, a little bit more than you would out of Canon's 35mm F2. What do you think about the price? $5.99 sound reasonable? I have always been, yes. 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 I've always been a Tamron fan. Uh, I don't currently own any, but when I first started buying film DSLRs, I couldn't afford the full price of Canon lenses, so I was buying Tamrons. Uh, I I've always liked them. I even bought them back when the only way to fit them on was to put an adapter in between the lens and the body, which I really didn't like at the time, but it was still cheaper than uh, buying Canon lenses. So I like Tamron's. I, I think these should fit in nicely. As far as primes go, I mean, there aren't a ton of options if you want image stabilization in a prime. Forty-five uh, is a little bit of a weird number. Uh, you know, why not give me a 50 millimeter F1.8? But still, and then I also wonder about the F1.8 um, and the 45 category at least. I wonder if that has to do with the fact that they're squeezing IS in there and they weren't able to make the glass as big as they could have to get us F1.4. Um, that's just a guess. I'm not an optical engineer, so oh, I don't know. Um, but these do look pretty you know sexy. And you know, that lenses, it's ridiculous. Well. Um, oh man, I, okay. Before I forget, and I'm going to throw this in there. Uh, did you see that test where the guy was dropping, uh, basically all thread onto lenses? Yes. I mean, I I, I mean, the intent was to talk about, um, whether you should use a skylight filter, uh, UV filter, which we talked about, I think not in the last show, but the show before that. Uh, because my daughter is taking a photography class uh, in college, and and the professor is highly recommending they get UV filters because the lenses I've been given to my daughter don't have UV or skylight filters, and she's like, you need to have lenses. Because my daughter was here just the other day, go, and I I showed her that video, and she's like, Dad, she still wants me to have a filter for the front of your lens. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but anyway, yes, 
you got to you got to put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll find that and add it to the show notes. But basically, what he does is he has a rig set up that drops a piece of all thread with some weights onto different lens filters as well as just the lens element in the front. And those lens filters, man, I could not believe it. They just crack and break up almost instantaneously. Whereas when he's dropping the all thread directly on the front element, he's having to apply extra weight in order to actually do some damage to the lenses. It's it's actually really impressive to see how many of these lens front elements without any protection at all hold up against that kind of impact. It, it's interesting to see. Definitely go check that out. I will, if I remember, add it to the show notes. If not, harass me and I'll add it to the show notes. But uh, yeah, the other thing is... I was looking around my kit, and I'm actually guilty of this. Like right here, this guy has a, but this is a B and W filter, so it's it's not a cheapo, you know, fifteen dollar filter protecting my lens. But maybe I should take all of them off, not just some of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I did. I did think it was interesting, and of course, it was not a scientific test. Uh, he had inexpensive um, Tiffin filters that he did right at the beginning, he did a, what he considered a uh, sharpness test with some landscapes. And he claims he couldn't see any difference, uh, w- even with a really cheap piece of glass. Now, you know, as much as we worry about the quality of our video, I, I don't think that I would spend 50 bucks on a, a skylight filter if I needed it. I would probably spend 150 100 to do it the right way because we're all just fanatics about it in the first place. But I thought it was really fascinating. Did you see the beginning part where he shows you the, the dropping the rod on a piece of paper? Yeah. And how high he had to start in order to get it to rip the paper, and yet the filters broke below that? Yeah. Well, so the piece of paper was stronger than the filters in most cases, I thought. I got to give him a little bit of hell on that one, though, because – the paper was attached to two wooden blocks that weren't attached to anything. So it provides a little bit of bounce in the paper. So it's, that's that's not as good of a representation of how hard the rod is hitting. Uh, It's still though, it's really interesting. Go check it out. Um, I do have a filter here and this is actually one I grabbed off of my wife's camera and you can see a difference here. If this is an HD, I've got it over the front of me, I, yeah. and then you go here and back again. At least looking at my own video feed, I can see a definite difference in color quality and clarity with this. Uh, I believe it's just a cheap Tiffin filter. So, you know, does it do something? Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, can you see it in photos? If you're shooting full megapixels of your camera, probably, most likely, I would say for many filters, yes, you'll be able to see it, especially the cheaper ones. Uh is a video on YouTube going to demonstrate that? Probably not, just because there's not enough resolution. So, you know, take that part of the test for what it is. You know, it's a video, not a actual photograph. But go look at the photographs, too. I think he has links to those in his own show notes. Now, another lens on the list here, Mitch, is actually the Panasonic 25mm f1.7. This one's kind of a weird one because Panasonic already has the 25mm f1.4, which is $499. Uh, this 25mm f1.7 is $300, and many people already own the Olympus 25mm f1.8, which is also 
do you think there's a big market for this? And where do you think Panasonic's going with it? Oh, you're asking me. You're the lens guy. Come on. What's it for the F1.7? I've never heard of that. Oh, well, with uh, primes in the category of uh, Micro Four Thirds, they do some some less common steps. So you do have a few lenses that are F1.7 or F, oh. you know, F1. There's a 1.6, I believe, um, uh, Magic something, Magic. Dang it, my brain is not working. I can't remember the name of the lens. Uh, but it has magic in the title. Definitely has magic in the title. And those guys have an F1.6 lens that you're like, huh? What, what's, what's this about? But yeah. I don't know. I, I guess my comment on this and the reason I bring it up is because it's sort of redundant. Well, what, oh, this is a lens made to market a group that already has something in that market. And going from F1.7 to F1.8, it's not really enough of a difference for most people to make you jump over to the other lens. I don't know. Well, one of them is black and one of them silver in your pictures. Does that matter? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> true story. So uh, Olympus is well known for that. They sell a lot of their lenses. Here's a black one, but they sell them in silver as well. And the silver ones, people don't pay as much money for them. Uh, they in the used market, no one wants the silver lens. They want the black lens. So if you go on Amazon or on eBay and you search for a particular Olympus lens or even a Panasonic if they make it in multiple colors and you look for the silver one used, it will generally be about 50 to $75 cheaper for the silver version than it is for the black version. And maybe style really does play that much of a – of a choice selection sort of thing in your mind when you're going for a lens. Same freaking it, elements. Would you pay does. extra for a different colored lens, Mitch? Uh, I guess if we're doing true confessions, the answer probably would be yes. Do you remember, and I was just looking for it because I thought I had it here, but it's downstairs. Um, some of the Canon photo bot, the, the, the SLR bodies, I'm sorry, the SLR bodies, I should, there's no D in the old <laughs> ones, right? They weren't digital, they were film. I remember specifically going and buying the one of the Rebels, they had a silver one and a black one, and the black one was like $50 more because it was a more professional looking body, and I went with the black one because I wanted to look cooler. Yeah, so actually. I guess... I do. They still have them. Um, I I was just checking B and H right here. If you look, there is a a silver Rebel XT, aka right. 350D. So, you know that's actually a thing. Um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know. Dang. If you're gonna buy a camera for style, then why not just go get a regular film camera that really has some style to it. Go find yourself a Pentax K1000. I mean, that had some styles, all boxy and square, put some film in it, you know, click the wheel over, do all that kind of stuff. I don't know. As a filmmaker, I, I always get frustrated when people are more about the style and the look of something than they are about the practical use of it. It's the freaking uh, putting a, a matte box on your camera thing that I was railing on about the other day. Like, Oh, great. You know, your client's going to hire you because not because you're talented or uh, capable of performing said task, but because you have a matte box on your camera. I mean, if that's the case, then maybe you need to find new clients because that's a little bit ridiculous. Like uh, your end product should represent 
your skill set, not the size of your map box or the size of the rims on your tires or the, you know, the spoiler that you've attached to your Honda Civic, buddy. Come on. Don't do that. (laughs) I love it when you go on rant. All right. Next thing on the list, actually, and this one's fun. Uh, Mitch threw this and I'll let you jump into it, Mitch. Tell me about the drones with guns, man. I, I think it's rather an interesting story. This is one that uh, Hugh picked up on Planet 5D. And it has to do with the uh, North Dakota lawmakers. And, of course, it gets down to a whole bunch of politics. And if you end up reading this story in any kind of depth, it's, it gets really convoluted. But there was a law that was being proposed that the police department could put not only lethal but non-lethal lethal weapons on drones for police department use so this isn't for public right this is theoretically only for uh, the police in north dakota and somebody switched it around because everybody was against it and so they switched it around and not have lethal weapons but non-lethal weapons like mace and rubber bullets and stuff like that you can put on drones if the police deem it necessary. And I thought it was funny because Hugh's like, you know, there aren't any professional teams in North Dakota. Uh, it's kind of like uh, non, not many riots that you hear about the population <laughs> of the size of New York, you know. So what do these guys think they need with uh, militarizing quadcopters? For police needs, I don't get it at all. I bet somebody just wants to fly one of these around, you know. They're like, hey, we got some extra money in the budget. We need to find a way to get a quadcopter into our hands so we have something to do on the weekends and evenings. And, uh, hey, what if we put, um, you know, rubber bullet guns on here? Then we could shoot each other while we're, you know, playing around (laughs) at the barbecue. Or maybe I could put a taser on this. Now, the weird thing, though, if you think about mace as a weapon, you, you have to spray it uh, pretty close range. And yeah. you're going to fly a bladed helicopter, even though it's a hobbyist helicopter, close enough to people to shoot them with mace. I mean, what happens if the pilot has an error or, you know, they do something wrong or it shucks a blade? You're going to take somebody's uh, freaking eye out with that. Uh, and, and I don't know that there's a whole lot of this story that makes any sense, but... Apparently the law has been passed. Somebody thought it was a good, good idea. Well, swing over to Planet 5D and check that one out. It's a pretty fun little article there. That's all I got on that one. Moving on down the line, and this one's actually kind of interesting. Um, I'm going to share this with oh, you guys oh, so you can wait, see it. Oh, oh, I got a story. Speaking of, speaking of people doing having way too much money, you were talking, and I thought of this story. Uh, there's a guy that my wife follows on Plexus, uh, on uh Twitter? Oh, Periscope. Periscope. Okay. You've seen Periscope, right? Everybody's doing Periscope. So this guy has too much money, time on his hands, and he gets his his drone, his quadcopter, and he takes his phone and he straps it to the quadcopter so he can Periscope live, right? So he's sending his phone up. And the other day he was fishing in a pond with his quadcopter with his iPhone strapped to it, catching fish. Now, what, 
mean, I mean, the, he's going to drop a thousand dollars if the fish is too big and yanks his little quadcopter into the lake. I just was like, you got to be kidding. There's somebody's got too much money if they're even coming up with this idea. Fishing with a quadcopter. I mean, anything for ratings, I suppose. Was it a small quadcopter or was it one of those ones that takes like three pilots to operate and has the six gyros and the gas powered motors? No, it was a single small little, one of the little white ones. I don't remember which one. But oh, it man. Was, it, not a major one, but it's like, I'm sorry, I interrupted your story, but I just had to, it's just bizarre what people will do with these things. <laughs> uh, there's actually, and you got to be careful, guys. If you do own a quadcopter, uh, make sure you're responsible with it. Uh, I have seen people flying them over fields with, you know, kids playing and stuff like that. I've seen them flying them over beaches with people on the beach. Try to stay away from being right over the top of someone because if your quadcopter fails, you can hurt somebody. And that's lawsuits, any kind of number of liabilities that could come down on your head. And if you don't have that thing covered underneath some sort of liability insurance, you're going to be up a creek, man. It's going to be a bad deal for you. Uh, also, yeah. use a little discretion. You know, don't don't go fly your quadcopter up to someone's window and look inside. Obviously, that's not appropriate. You know, don't use it to go spy on the aerobics thing that's happening, you know, at the park that's, you know, behind a gated fence where you're not supposed to look at stuff. So just be respectful because if you don't, people are going to start cracking down on these quadcopters and they're going to have some major laws passed that are going to keep you from being able to fly your thing. Uh, Example, remember the quadcopter, what is it, like two weeks ago that stopped a, a fire helicopter from putting out a fire? That's Yeah. That sort of thing, I mean, the first two that I mentioned are somewhat comical, but that's a serious business. You know, that's someone's house burning down, someone's property going up in smokes, and a flying quadcopter trying to get, you know, air footage of it and be the first on the scene is stopping first responders from accommodating the actual needs of the people that are in peril. Woof. Don't do that. That's that's bad. It's it, Yeah, and it's getting to the point, by the way, uh, Hugh's working on a story right now. Uh, the FAA has reported that there have been several near misses with commercial jets landing at airports. What? Now, yeah, these stupid, I'll use the word stupid again, people are flying their quadcopters close to the airport, and the planes are about to strike them. Now, how, I mean, you imagine... 300 people dying because of some bozo flying his quadcopter near the airport. I mean, you know, that happens once it's going to be outlaw city for quadcopters, you know, DJI and all these other companies are going to go under if something like that goes on, because man, that would bring public outrage to the nth degree. Just be respectful with your freaking stuff, man. Very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, the story I was about to jump into before we got sidetracked there was actually this guy right here. And uh, Mitch actually mentioned this earlier, the Sony F3, which is or was a fairly popular uh, interchangeable lens uh, super 35mm digital camera shot full HD. It was a $14,000 camera, $14,000. Now it's a $4,000 camera. And this has kind of been a trend if you keep your eye out on eBay, and this one's actually something for sale on B&H, but if you keep your eye out on eBay, a lot of the cameras 
that were used three to five years ago as HD cameras for very popular films. And I've actually got a link in the show notes to the films that were shot with this camera. It doesn't look like there's a number of really high-end one, uh, you know, films on that list I'm, I'm looking right now. But the point is, those cameras are now sort of being made obsolete by the next generation of 4K cameras because everybody's jumping on the 4K bandwagon. And here's the list of films that uh, were made with this. I don't recognize many of these. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is, you know, top-notch films, but still, uh, sure. the fact remains, a $14,000 camera is now a uh, really affordable $4,000 camera. Mitch, what do you think? Do you think 4K is, is the cause of this, or is it just technology moving so fast? Uh, I, that's a darn good question. Uh, I do notice that on the B&H page, it's, it's rather interesting if you go, you ought to just grab this just for posterity's sake, because it says instant savings, $10,000. I mean, that's just like really cool. The F3 was announced in November of 2010. So it's five years old at this point. I'm surprised it's even still being sold for new, to be honest with you, with all the new cameras that are out. Uh, people still wanting to buy this camera is kind of interesting. It's got and some... it also says limited supply at this price. Yeah, it's got some pretty good specs, though. I mean, this <laughs> yeah, camera is fairly good in low light from the looks of the spec sheet here. It's got uh, many different frame rates that are available. It's uh, It's got all the professional features you'd expect from a feature-length style camera like this. I mean... It's not that bad, really. Uh, Top-notch in 2010? You know, that's like... This would compete pretty across the board with, uh, what, maybe a C100, wouldn't it? Oh, sure. So, you know, and this is priced uh, less than the C100 Mark II, which is, I want to say, $4,500. I think that's right. Yeah, it might have dropped. Um, I know the C100 prices have been falling lately, but it's just it's kind of interesting that these cameras from a couple of years ago are well, five years ago are this affordable now. Uh, 4K in general, I think, is starting to become a must-have feature in a lot of cameras. Uh, I know people that are like, man, the next camera from Canon, it's got to have 4K in it. That's the only way I'll buy it. You know, uh, Panasonic has 4K now. Uh, Samsung, you know, a brand that isn't really known for for photography or for video cameras is, is making 4K cameras. I think every camera that comes out probably in 2016, 4K. You know what's uh, supposed to be announced on Monday shooting 4K? What? I'm holding one up. Yes. Rumors are that the iPhone 6S, which is supposed to be announced on Monday or Tuesday, whenever the announcements are, is rumored to have 4K in it. Wow. That's the big feature of the camera. You know, it's kind of... It's kind of funny. Uh, that sounds like uh, Panasonic... or I mean, not Panasonic. Uh, Apple is actually now chasing after Samsung because wasn't weren't Samsung phones shooting 4K video... Uh, as early as two years ago? Yes. It's been, it's not anything new, no. But, well, if Apple's doing it, it must be valid now. So everything's 4K. And you can now see me at planetk.com as opposed to planetyp.com. <laughs> 
Oh, I actually do own the domain, by the way. <laughs> uh, for the future oh. switch to 4K. Uh, yeah, honestly, I've been, I've been it up for a while. Honestly, ahead, for sorry. for watching uh, purposes, if, if you're a film buff or what have you, you do have to be fairly close to a 4K monitor to to really realize the difference between 4K and 1080p. Uh, my living room, I still have a 1080p monitor, and it's a 65-inch. And at normal viewing distances, you know, it's not really – it's not noticeable that there's a lack of resolution or anything like that. Uh, I have a 4K editing panel in front of me, and I actually switched to a much larger panel because the 27-inch 4K panel, the resolution was so high and it was so small I couldn't hardly read the text. And if I can't read the text – you know, how am I going to distinguish one good pixel from one bad pixel while I'm looking at it? I had to go to 42 right. inches so that I actually have the DPI of a regular 1080p monitor at, say, 24 inches so that I can see what's going on and I can actually make use of it. When you go to these demonstrations, and Mitch, I think you've seen them, you probably would agree, the difference between 4K and 1080p is hard to see even in front of it. But the difference from 1080p to 8K is substantial uh, remember the 8k display at nab last year when you yeah. walk by it you look at it and it was like looking through a window absolutely gorgeous so i don't know but you're still not going to notice that if you get more than 10 or 15 feet away so True. if you're standing in front of it and if and if you notice uh, I specifically went to Best Buy several months ago to look at 4K TVs just for fun. And they I don't know whether they do it intentionally or not, but it's very difficult to find a place anywhere in the store where you can stand 10 to 15 feet away from a TV. They want you to stand up close because it looks so awesome up close. Because I wanted, and I actually found a spot in the in the back sort of section where they had a 1080 uh, TV and a 4K TV right next to each other, and I was able to back up about 15 feet. Like I can't tell the difference between these two. Yeah, that's a when that's you're standing really close. Man. Yeah, but but if you move back, the typical range of where people sit, they can't tell a difference. And, and again, I'll go back and say it again. I stand up close to my TV because sometimes I'm getting more into the standing up stuff like at this desk right now. I go stand like watching a football game or something. ESPN still delivering in 720 and there are so much artifacting coming down from broadcast TV. It's absurd. And so if you're watching anything that's broadcast, it's, it's not, it's not even 1080 these days. So the only way you're getting any kind of 4k content realistically uh is via the web maybe you're watching youtube on your tv or something but no the broadcast stuff is there no way well i think the advent of 4k in the living room will start to happen when we start seeing more gigabit fiber to the home because if you look at netflix streaming requirements for 4k video uh, isn't it like a, a an absolute minimum of like 25 meg down? I want to say it's 15 or 25 meg down. It's it's something very substantial that a lot of homes out in rural areas don't have. Uh, even, you know, if you live in a major metropolitan area, you're lucky if you have 100 meg or 150 meg service. Uh, you know, if you're lucky enough that Google Fiber moved into your neighborhood, now you can get gigabit up and down. But that's a... Uh, 
fairly rare occurrence. I know companies are starting to compete. And once that happens, then, you know, uh, hey, guess what? Comcast is offering gigabit fiber to the home, and they also provide, uh, I don't know, 4K of everything, you know? like the, then, the, then that's possible, right? Yeah, but you, you imagine what the, the cost of re, restructuring, rewiring the entire United States. Obscenely expensive. Well, so, there are some shortcuts, though. Uh, Doxis 3.1, uh, if you're familiar with uh, cable standards, Doxis uh, 3.0 is limited to 500 meg bandwidth. Uh, 3.1 is limited to 2 terabytes or uh, 2 gigabytes of bandwidth. So what they're doing there is basically they're increasing the frequencies and therefore the amount of data that can be transferred on the cable going to your house, your, basically your uh, your cable connection so by simply changing the hardware out on either side there's no infrastructure tax you just change okay. out the doxis router and then the the doxis uh, modem on your side so there are possible ways that they could do this uh, as far as dsl goes that that's not going to happen those are physical wires uh there is no way to increase the bandwidth on those wires up to a given point because you have i squared r losses which no one knows what those are except for me so i'm not going to talk about them <laughs> Yeah, I, I I was ready to pull out the snore sound when you start talking about that stuff. But and and we have to also remember that there are there are better compression mechanisms now with H two six five and stuff like that. So they'll be able to send higher quality down the pipe without changing the pipes. But we still have a long, long way to go, is what I'm trying to say. Now, the next thing on the list here, and this is actually another one for you, Mitch, uh, I wanna know a little bit more about your RoadLink wireless system. We talked about it probably, I want to say, seven or ten episodes ago, and you were pretty excited about it, and I kind of wanted to follow up with you and see what you thought about the audio quality of this guy. Now, uh, for those of you who don't remember, uh, this guy is a Wi-Fi transmitting, so it's using basically 802.11 to send your audio across a single channel to the receiver, which then goes into your camera, as opposed to using UHF or VHF, which are the common frequencies for most audio gear. What do you think of the sound on this thing, Mitch? And, and did you have any dropout issues? Uh, the first caveat is that I have not done extensive scientific testing, okay? I do not spend all day every day I, I toyed with the idea of taking it to the apple store uh because i figured there's a hell of a lot of interference going on at the apple store right but i haven't done that yet either uh that would involve me standing at one side with my daughter with the camera on the other side blah blah blah, blah. i haven't done it i i have done it in my basement uh, my house is old plaster chicken wire uh, with a concrete floor, so I've been able to do it between floors, so it's working really well, realistically, in in my environment. Um, and by the way, uh, and the sound quality to answer that other part of the question is, I have not, again, done scientific, really fancy-ass noise testing, uh, but it's good enough for my ear uh, to be able to use it for what I'm using it for. And that is typically uh, training videos and or uh, podcast kind of stuff. And I don't know if you notice this, but I'm actually wearing a lav mic. I can get over my little 
uh, lower third banner there. I'm wearing a lav mic because before we turned the show on, I was doing a little bit of testing. Because what a, one of the things that I wanted to do with it was to play with Periscope. We were talking about Periscope earlier on the iPhone, right? Yeah. Uh, or the Android device of your choice. Uh, so what I wanted to be able to do was to put my iPhone and have better quality phone audio for doing Periscope. And so I wanted to test that. Now, obviously, if you don't know, the typical microphone, and of course I didn't bring the typical microphone with me, has a three a, a, a TRS plug. And this is this is an Apple one, so it is a TRRS. There are three bands or four different hot zones. I don't know what you call them. What's the right word? Do you know? Uh, yeah, so one's your ground and the other two are your positives. Okay, but on the TRRS, the typical plug for an iPhone also has a control for the on off in the microphone, yeah. uh, the, you know, the button. So there's, there's one extra hotspot, whatever you call those things on a TRRS plug. Well, you need that in order to go in, right? Oh, I just simple me. Why don't I pull the adapter off? So I've got this white adapter here uh, that I bought on Amazon and I put the link on there, which is, a TRS on the back end and a TRRS to go into the iPhone. So here's the plug for those of you who are watching those for audio folks, you can't see this obviously, uh, but the TRRS plug is on the other end of the road mic. I'm sorry, the road link, uh, because that's typically what our audio jacks are for the, the, um, for regular microphones, you have, a. Uh... Uh, a three three prong set so you have tip ring sleeve uh the, that's what the r stands for is ring and the t is for tip so oh. so oh. those are the terms i think you were searching for i was thinking of the polarities that you were looking for um the what they normally do with those and if you see the splitter that mitch was demonstrating they do one for microphone inputs and one for audio outputs. Uh, so what they're doing is they're sharing the ground, and then the hot leg is bringing a microphone or a control signal back in. And Mitch is showing that right now. I should probably click on his screen so you can see that. Well, yeah. And so the right. microphone uh, and the headphone jacks are separated on those two so that you can actually get regular devices into it. Now, I was actually looking around for something like that in my own collection. And this is a custom-made one that I got from Which a company in Germany. They're, they're fairly expensive. This is $18, but this just takes the uh, microphone portion of it and brings it to a tip ring sleeve configuration as opposed to a tip ring ring sleeve. So it's it's more way more expensive than the one Mitch is holding up. I'm guessing you paid what, like $3 or $4 for that thing? Uh, actually, no. This one was, I think it was, let's look. I got it on Amazon right here. Uh, it was five fifty. So this is substantially more expensive, but it looks nice. And uh, the reason I have this actually is uh, I had a headset that I wanted to test out as a lav mic. My thoughts were that if you go buy or you because, you know, everybody who gets an Apple phone gets that cheap set of earbuds with the microphone on it. Now, what if you just got one of those and used it as a lav? 
uh, right? it doesn't sound that bad. So if you combine that with something like this to go into your wireless system, then you have a cheapo lav mic laying around as I whack things about my studio here. Um, that would would make it easier. And I meant to write a tutorial on it and do a demo, but of course, me being a busy man, I did not get to it. Now, continuing on. Sorry, Mitch, I didn't mean to derail the conversation about the road video link. Uh, no, you didn't derail it at all. But I and I and I'm thrilled to death that I finally know what TRRS stands for. I mean, it's so obvious now that I know. But uh, tip, ring, ring, sleeve. Gosh, brilliant. Uh, so I was able to do a test just before we came on the air and I was able to hook the road link with my, with the lav mic that comes with it, uh, into my phone. And I walked to the other end of the house and I did a recording and, and it was really awesome. I was able to use the phone as a recorder. What I was trying to do was to test to make sure I could use the phone to have high quality input. Obviously, if I were going to do Periscope, I would still stay within the video range, but you could even do wacky stuff where you were filming other people and still be able to talk maybe, or like the guy that was doing the fishing, right? He could, <clears throat> he could dangle one of these on the other end with his phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. With his, with his quadcopter and his phone dangling over the, the lake fishing for perch or something silly. But I, th I thought this would be a good alternative if people, obviously any wireless system, if you want to use it for your iPhone, you got to have the TRS sleeves. Uh, but the road link seems to be working really well. Uh, I'm really happy with it. I know Hugh has sold his old Sennheiser, I think he had a Sennheiser wireless system uh, and bought one of, the, one of the road links because he was having all sorts of interference and problems with his. And he's really happy with the road link. So, yes, Planet 5D is a road is a road sponsor. Our sponsor Road is a Planet 5D sponsor, I guess I should say. In that, uh, so and they did provide this to me for no charge. All disclaimers aside, uh, I like it. The only thing that I that was confusing to me, and I think I mentioned this uh, last time we talked about this. Uh, the the thing that kind of slayed me, and I, I don't know if you can see this on the thing. Yeah, but I can see the little display sure. with the Wi-Fi and all that. Let me... when initially, and I don't have the other unit hooked on, which is why it seems to be searching, but the graph, the audio graph shuts off after about a minute. And so you don't get to see your audio levels. And they're doing it to save battery, I'm sure. Uh, but it just, I was... A little surprised to see that the audio levels quit showing after about a minute. The minor nit. Well, that's actually at least they show you something. The uh, GH or the G2 units and G3 units that I use from Sennheiser, uh, and then you can see here I've actually got mine labeled as T's one because I've got five of them, so T one through five, so that I know which one goes with which frequency. Because otherwise, you have to open it up or look on the back and take this plate off to figure it out. But uh, you can only see the audio level display while you're setting the levels. Once you're done setting the levels, it goes back to the frequency display, and then it sort of does it on the... Well, actually, you know what? I'm lying to you. That is incorrect. <laughs> it does show it all the time, and I just wasn't paying attention to my own stuff because now that I think about it, it actually does show me that. 
The only problem, the thing it doesn't show you is the level output because you can adjust the volume for the output on these Sennheiser units to the camera. And if I forget and I move this from my Canon camera to my Panasonic camera and I'm not testing with headphones, the output level for a Canon camera, it, it requires the transmitter or the receiver to put out a much higher volume output for the camera to pick up good audio, whereas the GH4 requires a much lower volume output. I think I go to minus 6 dB for the output on the GH4, and I go to plus 6 dB for the output on a Canon camera. And that issue has got me four or five times where I'm switching between them. I put it on my GH4 to shoot something, and then I get into post, and all the audio is just like... <laughs> it's awful. It, it completely ruins everything, and then you have to go do ADR, which... Uh, Automatic dialogue replacement is what ADR stands for, and there's nothing automatic about it. It is getting your actors or actresses to stand there and try to recreate the words that they said in order to line them up and get them correct. So be really cautious of that. Um, definitely I want to try those out, but I am still sort of a Sennheiser guy just because these are such solid units. You've got an investment in those. If you got five sets, my stars. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think That's they're five ninety nine a piece, man. And I was really upset when the FCC started taking over frequencies because I had a set that was in the seven hundred megahertz band, and FCC made the seven hundred megahertz band illegal to use for uh, audio setups because they were giving it to other spectrum uses. I think they auctioned it off for a cell phone or something. I don't remember, but. That means you can't use it, and they're getting rid of 600 megahertz, so I had to sell off even more of my units, and it's really frustrating when you have stuff that works, and then suddenly they make it illegal. And if you use it now in the United States, you'll actually get transmission issues because there's enough fire departments, uh, ambulance drivers, and so on that are using those frequencies now to cause beat frequencies and interference on your own signal. Uh, so don't be tempted to buy one on eBay that's only 299 cuz most likely if it's that price it's probably one of the frequencies that you can't use in the United States. Wow. I never would have even known that. Yeah. Thanks DJ. You know everything. I am so impressed with the amount of stuff you know. If you You want to have a show. Yeah, if you swing over to dslrfilmnoob.com and search for FCC, you'll find several very long articles that I've written about my frustrations with frequency sales in the United States. It's also extremely irritating when you are working with someone that's internationally based and has wireless equipment from Europe, and they come to the United States, and now their entire bag of wireless audio kit is a paperweight because it doesn't work in the area that you live in. Really, really frustrating. Um, the other thing, and I just real quick while we're on the wireless system subject, there was a lot of questions about the Rode VideoLink in the aspect of it having two channels because they mention um, cha multiple channels in the information for it. Does it transmit stereo or does it transmit mono and just put it out on both channels? It is. Uh, I I don't know that I know the answer to that. Uh, I mean, obviously, the signal that I receive in my camera is mono. Uh, it's so I, no, it's not stereo, but I don't know how they're using the two different channels. All right, I'm not a geek like you. 
Hey, no problem, man. You're the everyday guy. I'm the overly enthusiastic about wireless frequencies guy. Um, moving on down the line to the last thing on the list here. And this is actually pretty sweet, but kind of weird at the same time. This is the Atomis Ninja Assassin. Because, you know, we have blades, shoguns, and all the other things that go along with the Atomis system. Uh, basically, if you're not familiar with uh, the... A Thomas Shogun, that is the 4K recording unit that they announced and released a couple years ago now. And it's about two grand or more to get your hands on. It has SDI inputs as well as HDMI inputs. This version is basically the cheaper little brother. It's going to be about $1,300. It still records 4K. It has a 1080p screen, and they've reduced the number of features that are in this and it looks like they've kind of made a, a sort of a hokier case that looks like a cheap iphone rubberized case around it is that what you see mitch <laughs> it it does look a little bit different than their normal stuff but again at nab they've got uh a totally different look and feel to their booth so maybe this fits in better with that uh, I don't. I don't know that necessarily. Maybe if it does have a, a rubberized case, that it might not work a little better in the field because people knock this stuff around a lot, right? Well, I think the original was um, a machined aluminum sort of setup. So I'm wondering if maybe they made this guy out of plastic and then built a rubber baby bumper for it so that they could reduce the cost and price of the unit itself. Uh, not sure what monitor technology this is using here. I just started looking at this before the show. So I should probably actually open up the B&H link and find out. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it is an IPS screen. So yeah, it's still probably a pretty attractive screen for the price. Uh, it comes with a little case and everything else. I don't know though. Uh, $1,300 and now a lot of cameras are recording their own sauce. Uh, how long do you think it's going to be necessary to have an external 4k recorder before cameras like the Sony a7s uh, get those in upgraded models? Well, I think it's going to be four months, two days, and five hours. That exact, huh? Yeah, exact. That's when I've been told the special release is coming from Canon. No, I know. It's a joke, people. It's a joke. I'm teasing. <laughs> Don't, somebody will quote me. They'll go, well, Mitch said, Planet Mitch said over on the DJ thing that... Uh... There, there. You know, and I know that there are a lot of needs people have. There are a lot of older cameras out there. Uh, you may not necessarily need 4K recording, but it's certainly nice to have a, a really nice monitor that has a good recorder on it. Uh, my original experience with Atomos was not that great, but more recently they have really upgraded their stuff, uh, and I, I've become a fan of their stuff. So. Yeah, they're old I monitors. Think, the original Ninja looked pretty hideous as far as a monitor goes, and it was rather clunky and sort of unruly yeah. to use. Uh, these newer ones, they're getting really thin, and they're almost competitive with something uh, like small HD's monitors uh, in this particular form factor. So 
definitely really sexy. The things to consider, and you know, uh, as I say, they record their own sauce. Remember, the GH4 doesn't have any advanced codecs. It, it simply has its H.264 codec. So if you want to record uh, in a different container or format, the Ninja and Atomos uh, units in general also support ProRes as well as DNX HD. So if you're an Avid user or you are a Mac user, maybe there is a benefit there for you guys to get your footage straight out of a recording device like this in a more compatible format uh, like ProRes or DNxHD, again, for Avid users. Uh, DNxHD, of course, works with Premiere and any of the other editing things since uh, Avid has been very kind in releasing that to the masses. Uh, but... Uh, you know, it's still nice to have your proprietary format if you want it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I assume there's firmware upgrades, too. Eventually, you'd be able to add different codecs if, if they come out with them. Uh, no, I think... Uh, uh, am I saying it right, Atomus? Uh, I, I always say it, Atomus or Atomus, but I, it's, I don't know which one's the correct way to say it. Uh, it if, if I may... Uh, I don't like to correct you because you often know more than I do, but it's it is Atomos. 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 <laughs> Atomos. All right, so I'm failing at this. Atomos. Uh, yeah, they don't generally have um, any other advanced codecs besides that in their recorders. Uh, basically, ProRes and DNxHD are uh -huh. about it. So they do have multiple flavors of those, though. So if you're looking for an earlier rec. Um, for ProRes users or a different, I think 24, I can't remember. There's several different flavors of DNX HD that go from very high compression all the way up to very little compression. And for those of you who are interested in those, you'll be very familiar with the different types that you can get your hands on. One last thing I wanted to bring up, Mitch, and I don't, unless you have anything to add on this, uh, uh, nope. this ninja here. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the JVC camera once more. I brought this up a few times. This is the JVC GYLS 300. And the reason I wanted to bring this up one more time is there's an interesting fact on here that I think has been missed by a lot of people. And it's this built-in wireless streaming option that's available with this. And you can see I've highlighted it here. Uh, this camera generates its own IP address and actually kicks out a complete video stream. Now, it is a 1080p stream, but I've been doing a little bit of research on this, and you did mention that the guy who likes to fly his quadcopter around wants to put more money onto his quadcopter. What if <laughs> we strapped a JVC GY LS300 4K camera on there? He could record 4K and stream 1080p. And then you have professional audio input options. You have the ability to sort of move your camera around the studio. And I wonder if you could even write an app that allowed you to switch through four or five different cameras. Maybe he could run around with ten dollars or $14,000 worth of cameras and uh, switch through them while he's doing his fishing with his quadcopter over the water. Yeah, that, that sounds terrific, TJ. I think I'll recommend that to him. Uh, the <laughs> You know, the only problem with that, however, is that he's currently using Periscope, right? Which only works on the iPhone. And I don't know if you know this or not. Do you, have you ever used Periscope? I have not. I, and Meerkat and Periscope, they're so ephemeral. It's not really something that I'm into, per se, you know. 
did you know that Periscope is vertical? It's only vertical. Yes. Oh. So that's why this uh, JVC GYLS 300 wouldn't do any good because unless you were had it mounted incorrectly, because then it would not, you know, it'd have to, anyway. <laughs> so, so there's, there's a technical reason uh, unless, you know, he's mounting the camera sideways and flying it in his drone and streaming, but, but then he would have to feed the signal into the iPhone in order to broadcast Never mind. Uh, the other reason I brought that up is simply because I've seen several new pro bodies that have sport or are sporting Wi-Fi enabled uh, routers inside of the body itself, and it's kind of interesting. I'm wondering how many people are implementing maybe a monitor for uh, so, um, someone with a tablet or something like that in order to keep an eye on footage. I would assume that's what you're using it for, but it would be interesting. If someone wrote some kind of uh, switcher app that allowed you to do live streaming with this particular setup and switch between multiple cameras, uh, the new Panasonic uh, with the fixed lens, I think it's the 100 series, uh, that guy has Wi-Fi as well. So, you know, imagine having a couple of those stashed around that you could log into, see what's going on, and then switch between for a multi-cam shoot. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the only one who's excited about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's that's geeky there. That's geeky. Live but you know, live streaming is going to be more and more popular. Uh you put one in your bathroom and in your shower and uh never mind. All right. Uh last thing before we get out of here, I've got one question I in the queue. The last thing. Oh, you want the last thing? No, I no, I you said that was the JVC was the last thing. So now you got one more last thing. I got one more last thing. I saw this in the sidebar here. Uh question about the GH three. Uh looks like BL Garrett wants to know if he should wait for the GH five to come out to get the GH four as he waited for the GH three until the GH four came out so that he could save some money. Honestly, I would say get the camera you need. Don't continue to wait for a camera because if you continue to wait, you will never create anything at all. Uh, go get your camera. Go shoot it. The best camera to have is the camera that you do actually have with you. Mitch, do you have anything to add to that? If I'm writing this one down. If you continue to wait, you won't create. That was a great quote. Very poetic. Uh, I... I so totally true. Now, technically, why doesn't this guy just go buy the F uh, the F three that's now down to four thousand dollars? Oh wait, it's a little higher than the GH three, isn't it? Okay, never mind. There's plenty of great cameras that you can get right now today to shoot what you need to shoot. Be creative. Don't wait. I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, everybody always wants the newest tech, man. And well, I do have a lot of the newest tech in my possession. Uh, that does not necessarily mean that it makes me a better shooter. I still often take out my T2i, which is an extremely old camera. And despite the complaints that you hear about the 5D Mark III, I continue to use that as well as the 6D on a regular basis and love those cameras to death and will probably continue to use those until such time as 4K is a mandatory requirement for shooting. While I do love my GH4 and I'd use it as well, I would say it only represents about 40% of my use case scenarios that I run across. The 
5D Mark III is still pretty solid in my collection. And the GH3 shoots 1080p, does fine in medium to low light, good up to about 1600 ISO. I mean, you got a good camera there. Uh, shoot with that. Go get another one of those if you want. I don't know. If you want to save money, there's tons of used cameras that are also extremely cheap that you can get your hands on too. So, you know, go out and shoot. Go out and make something. Mitch, where can people find oh, you, man? Uh, I'm on a website, something, 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 Planet 4K. No. Planet 5D. I'm on planet5d.com, planetmitch.com, smartbusinessplanet.com. I don't know, a couple of other places, Twitter, Facebook, all those kind of things. You can find me as Planet Mitch. As usual, guys, you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can find me at Twitter, at DSLR Film Noob, not at Twitter, of course, because at Twitter, I don't think anybody can own that. Uh, that would be weird. Uh, also, uh, make sure you comment, review this as you move along, and be sure, if you're watching the live video, to write your questions down in there, because some of that directs the way that I write the show notes and Mitch writes the show notes. So we love to hear from you guys, and your input helps us to deliver good content. On that note, we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. Look at that. Busted move. Just don't trip because there's a lot of stuff in your office.